Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our central London service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit christchurchlondon.org. Reading from Luke 10, that's the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're reading from Luke 10 verse 25. The words should be on the screen behind me. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took up two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Please give a very warm central service welcome to Ty. Hi everyone, can you hear me? I have a problem with projection, so, you know, if you don't, I'm sure Chris can bump me up upstairs. But, yeah, I'm really excited to be here this morning. Um, for those that don't know me, my name is Ty. I go to the Milan Evening Service, and I've been part of Christchurch London for about eight years now, give or take. I also work for the church, which is great. Not just saying that. <laughs> no, I'm not, not I'm um, But, yeah, I'm really excited to be continuing our series on Luke. The focus of this talk will be on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, and you should have been given some pens and papers like as you entered in. Hopefully you still have those. Keep hold of those as we'll need them a little bit later. But to start this off, I wanted to ask us a question. I wanted to ask what we think of when we think of a Good Samaritan. We probably think of a good neighbor. We think about that man or woman who's going to help that person on the side of the road. We think this because we know the story. We've heard the story many times. It's probably one of the most well-known parables that Jesus tells. Whether you're raised in church or outside of the church, when the phrase Good Samaritan is used, it's often used positively. Christians and non-Christians alike know of the organization, the Samaritans, which was founded in 1953, and whose sole purpose is to help those in distress, which is amazing. But I think when we solely view this parable as an example of how to be a good neighbor, we miss the deeper meaning and context behind the story. I think there's a lot more going on here than we immediately see. So in this sermon, I want to go through the passage a little bit and explore some of the context for us today. So to kick things off, we begin in Luke 10, 25, 
We're told that a lawyer, who was basically an expert in Jewish Old Testament law, presents Jesus with a question. It's clear that the lawyer doesn't ask this question out of a sincere desire to learn, but because he, like many of the religious elites, was suspicious of Jesus and was looking for a way to trap him. This wasn't the first time where one of the religious elites tries to test Jesus. In nearly every passage of Luke's gospel leading up to this account, Jesus and the disciples seemingly do things contrary to the Old Testament law. For example, I think the slide is wrong. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it should be for Luke 5. Ah, yes. Perfect. <laughs> so, for example, in Luke 5, Jesus proclaimed forgiveness of sins. He dined with tax collectors and sinners. In Luke 6, he lets the disciples pick grain on the Sabbath, and he even heals a man on the Sabbath. Outrageous. Can you imagine? <laughs> and each time, the Pharisees are there to question him. In the story, the lawyers ask, "'Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?' And to the lawyer's credit, the question is a good one. It's probably one of the most important questions there is. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Basically, what must I do to be right in God's sight and obtain a greater quality of life in this world and in the world to come? But instead of answering the question, Jesus effectively turns the question back on him, basically saying, you're an expert. What is written in the law? How do you read it? So the lawyer answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself, which Jesus identifies as correct. In fact, Jesus gave the exact same answer when asked a similar question in Matthew 22. When asked by one of the Pharisees, which was the greatest commandment in the law, Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus then tells the lawyer to go and do this and he will live. Basically, love God with all your heart, with all your, love your neighbor as yourself, and you will have eternal life. So that should have been enough for the lawyer, right? But oh no. No, no, no. My guy had time that day. He had time. <laughs> so what does he do? He asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Again, this was a question the lawyer knew, so he thought. You see, the understanding of the, in, the, in those days, the understanding of the religious elite was that your neighbor was your fellow Israelite or those within your immediate geogra geographical vicinity. You were to love and act in love towards your fellow Jewish man or your fellow Jewish woman, but you were under no obligation to those outside of your neighbor, outside of your nation, especially your enemies. Remember, Jesus says in Matthew 5.43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The reason he says you've heard it said is because that was the thought of the day. So if the lawyer knew this, why does he ask Jesus this question? Well, Luke writes something really interesting here. Luke writes, and he says, the reason the lawyer asked this question was in order to justify himself. I think you should, yeah, next slide. Justify himself. Let me go. And this is important, as it's to this that Jesus begins to tell the parable. So let's take a look at the parable. Basically, a man is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and the road he uses um, would have been one that was very familiar to Jesus' listeners. 
It was a very dangerous road spanning 17 miles long. There were basically barren mountains, rough terrain with caves and large boulders where robbers often hid in order to rob travelers. And this is exactly what happens to the man in the story. He's robbed, he's beaten, and he's left half dead. And basically, two men approach him, first a priest and then a Levite. This is significant, as priests were basically servants of God who performed sacrifices on behalf of the Jewish people in the temple. And Levites were men who also, well, who also um, worked in the temple. And both men would have been very familiar about the Old Testament law about loving your neighbor. But instead of stopping to help the man, both men pass him by. And this isn't like the six-lane carriageway on the M1. Like, this is a small path. And um, there's a picture coming up, as you can probably see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like, as you can see, both men would have had to have practically stepped over him in order to get by. And so they do. So what happens next? Basically, a Samaritan comes along, and what does he do? Well, the passage says, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. The lengths to which the Samaritan goes for a complete stranger are impressive, but it becomes even more impressive when you understand who the Samaritans were. Basically, the Samaritans were hated by the Jews, and they hated the Jews right back. Basically, the Samaritans were descendants of Israelites who had intermarried with non-Jewish people during Israel's time in exile. And the Jews considered them half-breeds, religious sellouts, who had basically taken their religion and blended it with pagan practices. It's funny that we actually know the story today as the, good, the story of the Good Samaritan, because in the eyes of the Jews back then, there was no such thing. So much so that when Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The lawyer can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. He says, the one who had mercy on him. And so Jesus then tells him to go and do likewise. So why does Jesus tell this story? Is the lesson that we need to be like the Samaritan and see everyone as our neighbor? Well, yes. <laughs> can't be avoided. <laughs> that is a lesson. But it's not the full picture. Like I said earlier, Jesus tells the story in response to the lawyer's attempt to justify himself. The lawyer probably thought, I'm a good person. I follow all the laws. I'm good to my fellow Jewish man and woman. He probably remembered that time last week when he helped his friend Ananiah pull his oxen out of a ditch, which was definitely not on a Sabbath day, don't get it twisted. He was probably expecting a massive pat on the back and a job well done. But instead, Jesus sees his heart and holds the law up to his face like a mirror in an attempt to show him how he stands condemned under the law and how he is falling short of the high standard of love God has set. You see, the law is an impossible standard, and any attempt to justify ourselves quickly become futile. But there's good news. Often when we read the story of the Good Samaritan, we're encouraged to identify with the Samaritan, to be like the Good Samaritan. But often the results can be that we feel immense guilt because we're nothing like the Samaritan. We're not as self-sacrificial. Or like the lawyer, we try and justify ourselves thinking about all the good things we've done and how good we are. 
But really and truly, we're more like the man on the road in the story. And Jesus is the one who represents the Good Samaritan. You see, like the Good Samaritan, Jesus didn't leave us in our sin, but had mercy on us. He wasn't just willing to inconvenience himself. He left the eternal bliss of heaven to come down and suffer and die on a cross. He wasn't just willing to risk his own safety, but laid down his life, dying, like taking on the punishment that we deserved. And he was willing to bear an enormous cost for us, even when we were still his enemies. Romans 5, 6 to 10 says this. It says, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? When we understand that the love God requires is a standard that none of us have met, and the consequences of our sin is like we're like the man lying in the road, but Jesus in his mercy saved us at a great cost to himself, is when we can begin to love like Jesus and like the Good Samaritan. So being armed with this knowledge then, how do we do this? How do we love like Jesus and like the Good Samaritan? Well, firstly, we need to be filled with compassion. The passage says that the Samaritan took pity on the man. Other translations says he had compassion on him. But really, I don't think either of these words really do the text justice. The Greek word used here is splonknitsamai, and you'll not believe how many times I practice saying that. I'm just like, I'm just like, I'm going to be honest. So I'm going to say it again. Splonknitsamai. Um, but basically, it carries this deep, um, it carries this powerful connotation rooted in the idea of feeling compassion in the depths of one's being, specifically your bowels or intestines. Today, we link our emotions to our hearts, so we say things like, I love you with all my heart. But in the cultural context of the time, oh gosh, can you, I feel like it go, it's going in and out. Is it fine? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so in the cultural context of the time, it was believed that the hub of emotion and affection resided in the bowels. So I guess you could say, I love you with all my bowels, and it would mean something. Um, feel free to use that in your Valentine's Day cards. <laughs> I'm sure your partners will appreciate it. <laughs> Um, but basically, it denotes this deep, visceral feeling of emotion that comes from within. Strangely enough, the word is actually only used 12 times in the New Testament, and eight of those times are actually in reference to Jesus. For example, Matthew 14 says, When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Basically, he had spontaneity on them and healed their sick. This passage highlights the deep empathy and concern that Jesus had for people suffering and distress. It portrays his compassionate response to those in physical, emotional, and spiritual need. Like Jesus, we are invited to cultivate a similar depth of compassion in our own lives, to move beyond a detached sympathy or a superficial concern, and to be filled with compassion in our inner being to take action, to extend care, love, and practical help to those in need. When we embody this type of compassion, we become vessels of God's love and agents of its healing in the, and restoration in the world. This is the first way we can love like Jesus and like the Good Samaritan. 
And the second is we need to be ready to be inconvenienced. Um, some of you might remember me sharing this, but um, I was born in Nigeria and I moved to the UK when I was about eight. Um, my family and I moved to a small town called Rotherham. And because I assume most of you won't know where that is, I've come armed with a map. <laughs> Should be a map coming up. <laughs> Um, as you can see, Rotherham is basically this small town in the middle of South Yorkshire. And as you can imagine, growing up in Rotherham in the 90s, you didn't come across a lot of black people, basically. From primary school all the way to secondary school, my twin sister and I were like the only black kids in the entire school. And that brought about some challenges. I remember there was one particular instance, and um, for whatever reason, we were, going to, we were going on a school trip to Germany, and we were traveling in the night, and I remember my mom took us to this trip, or to where we were going to basically set off. And I remember my sister and I getting on this coach, looking down on the pavement with all these parents, all white, talking to each other, and my mom standing in a corner alone. That image was so imprinted in my mind that even now to this day, I think about it, and it makes me sad. We were there for probably like, well, we sat at a standstill for probably 15 to 20 minutes, and none of those parents made an effort to speak to my mom. And I remember my sister and I sitting on this coach, looking down on the scene, and we just cried, you know? And, but we didn't want our friends to know, so we were just weeping silently, trying not to draw attention to ourselves. And looking back at that incident, I think about it, and I don't necessarily think those parents were bad people. I just think that they were preoccupied, you know, concerned with themselves, chatting to each other, that they failed to see this immigrant woman standing alone. And it makes me think, how often are we preoccupied that we fail to show genuine love and compassion? And I know it can be hard, Speaking as an introvert who rarely likes to leave the house, it's like, coming here was an effort, I'm just going to say it. But making space for people can be difficult, but if you want to see the city transformed by the love of Jesus, we need to be able to move out of our comfort zones, and we need to be ready to be inconvenienced. Um, if the band could come back up. And the last point I wanted to make, or the last point I think that means we can be more like Jesus and the Samaritans, is we need to be able to love our enemies. And enemy probably sounds like a very strong word, especially in our modern day context. We know that no one really walks around saying, you've made an enemy out of me. Well, unless they're doing some kind of Shakespearean theater production or something. Um, but we all have those people in our lives who make it really hard to love them. It could be that boss whose joy seems to be making your life a living hell, or that friend or family member who's hurt you, and you're polite to them, but deep down you're finding it hard to forgive them, let alone love them. Um, Luke 6, 27 to 31 says, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This probably seems like an impossible task. And really it is. We fail time and time again 
we just don't measure up to God's standard of true love. But when we remember how much we've been loved and how much we've been forgiven, and when we look to our Heavenly Father who did not withhold mercy from us but chose to send Jesus to die on a cross, then can our hearts be transformed, and then can we begin to love like Jesus and like the Good Samaritan. And really, one of the big ways we can love our enemies is by praying for them. We really can't underestimate the power of prayer. It has the ability to shape our hearts and fill us with a compassion that we just can't find within ourselves. So what I'd love us to do right now, as the band play something nice, <laughs> um, I'd love us to take the pens and papers in our seats, and I'd love us to write down the names of two or three people that we know, if we really look within, we either find hard to love, either because they've hurt us or hard to forgive, or hard to love for whatever reason. And I'm going to do the same thing as well. So let's just take some time to do that now.